bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. I'm Paul Dragu. The European Union is trying to impose digital censorship onto the entire world by going after Elon Musk. Also, the state of Tennessee is suing the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, a company that has used its clout to shove woke degeneracy down our throats. And Argentina's new libertarian president permanently shut down half the government on his first day in office. We have those stories coming up, plus a conversation with the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn, about Senator Mike Lee's bill to get the U.S. out of the U.N. But first, despite having never been convicted of insurrection, the Colorado Supreme Court voted 4-3 yesterday to ban Donald Trump from the state's ballot. All the justices on the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. Four of these justices declared Trump ineligible for the White House, supposedly under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause. In its opinion, the court majority wrote, We do not reach these conclusions lightly. We are mindful of the magnitude and weight of the questions now before us. We are likewise mindful of our solemn duty to apply the law without fear or favor and without being swayed by public reaction to the decisions that the law mandates we reach. But not every judge in Colorado Supreme Court is infected with Trump derangement syndrome. Dissenting Justice Carl Samore wrote that our government cannot deprive someone of the right to hold public office without due process of law. Even if we are convinced that a candidate committed horrible acts in the past, dare I say, engaged in insurrection, there must be procedural due process before we can declare that individual disqualified from holding public office. A Trump campaign spokesperson said that the Colorado Supreme Court issued a completely flawed decision. He said the Trump team will swiftly file an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court to stay this deeply undemocratic decision. Colorado <clears throat> officials say the issue must be settled by January 5th, the deadline for the state to print its presidential primary ballots. The Colorado ruling is the opposite of how the Minnesota Supreme Court ruled last month when it decided that the state party can put anyone at once on its primary ballot. According to AP, dozens of lawsuits have been filed nationally to disqualify Trump under Section 3, which was designed to keep former Confederates from returning the government after the Civil War. This was the first to succeed. House Speaker Mike Johnson called the decision nothing but a thinly veiled partisan attack. He said in a tweet, regardless of political affiliation, every citizen registered to vote should not be denied the right to support our former president and the individual who is the leader in every poll of the Republican primary. We trust the U.S. Supreme Court will set aside this reckless decision and let the American people decide the next president of the United States. So join <clears> us <throat> remotely is the new Americans, Joe Wolverton II. Mr. Wolverton is a legal scholar and he's the author of The Real James Madison, What Degree of Madness. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Paul. Well, I am happy to be here with you. Wow, we're happy to have you. So isn't it interesting that these justices, uh, as we mentioned, there were, there were several of these kinds of appeals, uh, but these guys looked at the same circumstances and they came up with a ruling like this, unlike everyone else. What do you make of this, Joe? I make of it that we have a situation that was predicted by Thomas Jefferson when he said, if we allow courts to override the will of the people, then we end up with a black robed oligarchy. And I think to say that four black robed judges in Colorado can override the will of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of citizens of Colorado who would vote for Donald Trump 
I think that's the very definition of an oligarchy. And I think that they're doing it as an act of weaponization of the court, which is the opposite of the Republican principles upon which the Constitution is founded. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the common sense view on this is what the dissenting judge says is there's been nothing, no due process of law to say that he absolutely did this. So what is their basis? I don't know how familiar you are. Obviously, the ruling came down yesterday. What is their basis? Are they say, uh, are they saying that there's enough evidence to say that he did, in fact, engage in insurrection? Obviously, they must be in order to make this ruling. Yes, they are saying I read the ruling is 230 pages, Paul, but I did download it and read most of it and uh, at least the, the important parts. And what they're saying is that Donald Trump's actions encouraged or incited other people to march on Washington on January 6th and to engage in insurrection and rebellion. And they don't bother recognizing that those words have a definition in the legal code of the United States and that nothing Donald Trump did. In fact, nothing that anyone did on January 6th rises to the legal limit, to the legal threshold of insurrection or rebellion. But in their decision, they say that Donald Trump incited, encouraged, and inspired people to commit insurrection and rebellion, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So where do, where, where do we go from uh, for, from here? Uh, we Apparently, we know that the appeal is probably already on its way to SCOTUS. It's, we only have to January 5th. How do you see this uh, fleshing out? I think SCOTUS will hand down a stay of the order from the Colorado Supreme Court, and that will give them time to consider the case. Uh, I think they will tell the Colorado Secretary of State, who's the one that sought to impose the limit on the Supreme the United States Supreme Court. I think they'll say, look, we're going to consider this uh, dutifully. We're going to consider this uh, patiently. And if you have to print new ballots, then you print new ballots. But, Paul, one thing is, you know, in 2010, the Supreme Court did issue a ruling wherein they found that the president of the United States did not qualify as an officer of the United States as it's defined in the 14th Amendment. So I don't think there's uh, that the Colorado Supreme Court has a leg to stand on, particularly when you're looking at a four to three ruling and the judges of the the justices of the Supreme Court are going to refer to the rule at 2010. When we're talking jurisprudence, that's a that's a decision made yesterday. And so there's no triggering office. There's no triggering event. None of and basic. And one thing that I haven't heard anyone say, Paul, that I guess the new American, as usual, is going to be in the front of this sort of thing. Section five of the 14th Amendment grants to Congress the authority to enforce all of these sections of article of the 14th Amendment. It does not grant to a state Supreme Court the authority. That authority is specifically granted to Congress mm. in Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. So until Congress, which has failed to convict Donald Trump of insurrection or rebellion, despite many attempts by Democrats. Yeah. Until Congress acts in that way, I don't see a leg for the Colorado Supreme Court to stand on and ultimately will be an embarrassment to them. But nobody will care. And I think ultimately this comes down to the continued attempt to weaponize the law 
to persecute Donald Trump. And this is uh, putting our feet on definitely on a very uh, dangerous road. Yeah. Well, there's clearly two ways this 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 can go. You seem to believe it. And I think a, a lot of scholars have said the same thing, including Jonathan Turley, is like, this isn't going to stand. And so... Mm. If that does indeed not stand, then th- this w- this would be good news in a way, right? That it would quash all those other efforts because they're gonna they they're gonna keep going. Obviously, the opposite can stand because if it does go, then it's gonna open up the floodgates, and there's no telling how many states are gonna. Then those other ruling uh, those other courts, state courts, might follow uh, follow suit, w- won't they? Well, I think if the Supreme Court were to somehow find in favor of Colorado's Supreme Court, if they were to uphold that decision, yes, I think that would cause a domino effect of the other state Supreme Courts uh, trying to remove Donald Trump's name from the ballots. Uh, First of all, like you said, I can't see a way that the Supreme Court upholds this decision. And second of all, I don't know that many of the courts in the other states that have similar suits pending, I don't know that they'll look one way or the other. They might decide to, you know, push the boat out and be that state that finally is successful. I don't, you know, when you get people this this obsessed and this consumed with their own power mm-hmm. and their own ability to persecute, they don't pay much attention to reason. Yeah, but I mean, if SCOTUS says no, then that's the end of it, right? Like you can't right. keep going because once SCOTUS rules, then these types of efforts are forever quashed because the highest court has ruled. Right. Until there's until some court claims that there's new evidence. OK. Right? Uh-huh. If there's ever fresh evidence, then that ruling can be challenged by the presence of fresh evidence. After this, Tennessee's attorney general is suing the asset fund manager that's been fueling wokeness and ESG. I I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. I mean, whoa. (laughs) Who knows what would come out of that? Just imagine if we have a constitutional convention, the number of people who will be unhappy and the number of people who say the results are not valid, and then they'll just ignore the entire constitution. What we need are just more people that would read the one we have. It isn't the constitution that's the problem. It is the people who ignore the Constitution that usurp power and abuse the constitutional power that they ostensibly have. If you can't enforce an existing piece of paper, how are you going to enforce a piece of paper that has a little more writing to it? In other words, it's been amended. It's up to us to hold our elected officials accountable. What can you do to elect good representatives and senators in your state legislature who understand the Constitution and are willing to take a stand? The New American has recently published our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. If we don't practice individual responsibility and learn to provide for ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, and others. We encourage you to get a copy. Heck, get two. One for you and another as a gift for someone in your life. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. Now let's look at our next story. The state of Tennessee is suing BlackRock for violating consumer protection laws. On Monday, Tennessee Attorney General Jonathan Scarmetti 
filed what he calls the first of its kind consumer protection lawsuit against the world's largest asset manager. The lawsuit accuses BlackRock of making false or misleading representations and deceiving consumers about the extent to which environmental, social, and government, or ESG, considerations affect the company's investment strategies. In a press release, Scarmetti wrote that BlackRock's deceit deprives consumers of the ability to make an informed choice. He said that some of BlackRock's public statements indicate a concern for investors, while others show a company that places environmental considerations first. Tennessee's statement identifies $9 trillion in investments under BlackRock management, but notes that part of the company's strategy has been joining ESG coalitions like the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative and Climate Action 100 Plus. Members of these groups have to make promises to fight climate change, even though their pledges may harm investors and consumers. The goal of achieving net zero by 2050 is the only consideration. However, BlackRock's disclosures don't mention any of these promises. That's what Tennessee's AG says. And he says, in fact, BlackRock has told consumers elsewhere that the only consideration driving its investment decisions is return on investment. Scrimetti calls the lawsuit an enforcement action, which seeks injunctive relief, civil penalties, and recoupment of the state's costs. This is not the first swipe the Tennessee AG has taken at BlackRock. Earlier this year, he joined a coalition of 20 state attorneys general in an open letter warning more than 50 of the nation's largest asset managers about ESG investment being made with Americans' money. Last year alone, many of those same states pulled nearly $12 billion from BlackRock in protest against its devotion to ESG. The New American has reported on BlackRock's destructive influence for years. In our July 31st print issue, we broke down how BlackRock uses its powerful influence to push woke and green values on corporate America, which then shoves them down the public's throat. It is a major reason these demented ideas have had any life at all. We also noted BlackRock's connection with globalist-minded organizations. Here's Alex Newman talking about that. Uh, Bloomberg actually in, uh, in a headline described BlackRock as the fourth branch of government. And of course, Bloomberg is um, no right-wing conspiracy theorist, and it's very true. It's actually very hard to tell where BlackRock begins and the government ends, or where the government ends and the BlackRock begins. Um, they are so incredibly intertwined. Now, last week in our in our uh, part three of this series, we showed you that Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, was intimately connected to the critical deep state organizations, right? He's on the board of the Council on Foreign Relations, deep state headquarters. He is on the uh, board of the World Economic Forum, or the World Economic Forum, as uh, Klaus Schwab likes to put it, uh, who, of course, was recruited by Henry Kissinger, who, of course, was recruited by David Rockefeller. Um, he's also a member of the Trilateral Commission, Larry Fink is. So he's very, very well connected to the elites, to the deep state. Join me to discuss our next stories is editor-in-chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and the John Birch Society Research Manager, Christian Gomez. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Paul. Hello. So this is, um, as we kind of hinted at there, this is one in a long line of actions against uh, BlackRock. Christian, do you have any information what other actions have been taken, whether this year or over the last couple of years, against BlackRock? Well, especially in 2022, a multitude of states have um, di divested their investments from uh, BlackRock. Arizona uh, pulled out of, of BlackRock. Uh, Florida pulled $2 billion from, the uh, from, from investments in BlackRock. And 
um, Louisiana as well, many states. Have, in fact, as you mentioned earlier, that's that accounts for nearly $12 billion that they've lost, and that's why they've uh, been having to cut employees. I mean, their company is hurting, and that's a good thing mm-hmm. because they think that they can manipulate uh, the policies of our country and the policies of even uh, of other countries to go um, to pursue uh, a woke ideology when we know that they are not looking for the highest return on investment. Yeah. They're looking to change policy. And as you pointed out, they are highly linked with all of the globalist organizations. Uh, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, is on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum and all these other organizations that are dedicated to the establishment of a new world order and changing uh, the current world system and even even the free market. They want to transform free market capitalism into something uh, that, that resembles more of a uh, a, a fascistic, communistic, mm. um, basically collectivist economic model on the global form, uh, yeah. global stage. Yeah, it's 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 actually very impressive how they have managed to influence. I mean, especially social values, because a lot of people were wondering. It's like, how in the world are all these uh, companies, whatever it be Coke or whatever? It's like they all came out for for you know ver- reverse racism and then uh, green values and all this stuff. And it's like, how did this happen all of a sudden? Well, one of the biggest answer is. BlackRock, they use their massive clout to bully these these boardrooms into saying, fall in line, believe these things or else. What do you think about all this, Gary? Well, it's certainly coming down from the top, and uh, BlackRock is, is a good part of it. But something that really resonated with me was when you show part of the report from Alex Newman. And what he had to say that uh, it's hard to tell where the uh, the private part uh, under BlackRock ends and the government begins. So there is a merger of uh, uh, mm. private and governmental interests. And, and of course, we had that partnership. Uh, that's the very definition of uh, fascism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of ironic, obviously, because for years and decades, and you probably know more about this than me, uh, they were always saying fascism is coming from the right, uh, that whatever our team would be responsible for it. And here we see it. We've been seeing it, especially over the last couple of years. It's been so pronounced, this merger of, of corporate and government entities. And they're coming together and they're saying, this is how you're going to behave. Uh, this is we're going to take away your cars. We're going to take away uh, your 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 freedom of speech that they've been very instrumental in that as well. We're actually going to cover more of that. Uh, next segment. So it's good to see, but we need more, don't we? We need more well, of we these agents. But isn't it wonderful that uh, we can see the effect of people becoming informed and uh, the effect of people voting, so to speak, by uh, by how they uh, invest their do- dollars? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people uh, who try to find businesses that are not part of this cabal and uh, spending their money that way. And of course, state attorney generals uh, moving uh, against uh, the, the powerful BlackRock. Uh, interest yeah yeah that's it's it's really good to see that i mean uh especially when you have even presidential candidates uh i think vivek's probably been the most vocal against blackrock but i don't i don't know if desantis i know that desantis has at least signed the right laws into place but like you said it's a good sign that this is what information accomplishes. I don't think right. this would have happened. Uh, we're going to take some credit. We're obviously not going to take all the credit because we've seen lots of other news organizations. But this is what it looks like when you start 
passing out that information when people in influential positions they read they read maybe the new american here and they see <laughs> they see this and they're like oh blackrock but i'm sure they knew about it before and others but good good on them and we'll see any thoughts on where uh where this might be heading well i think uh we can expect more of the same in terms of people uh, uh opening up their eyes and, and people becoming involved uh, uh, it's really exciting paul and the reason it's happening of course uh, is because people have a yearning for the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, people really do not want to be enslaved. And, of course, and for justice. Uh, and, and people Fairness. believe in Yes, uh, exactly. And, of course, this is why the, the masters or would-be masters of the universe mm -hmm. have to operate on deception. And we need to uh, expose that deception by creating the understanding. Yeah. And also, of course, uh, applying organization. Yeah, that's a good point because that's what the Tennessee AG is saying. It's like they're lying because they're saying this is how we invest, but that's not the case. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Christian. After this, the globalists have launched another attack on Elon Musk's platform. Remember when the only uncertainty in news was the weather forecast? Now, our world is clouded by half-truths, misdirection, and gaslighting. The deluge of lies from leftist activists posing as journalists is unrelenting. At The New American, we hold fast to the timeless truths of our founders. Sanctuary in the storm. Visit thenewamerican.com today and get 25% off your subscription. Welcome back, folks. For more news and in-depth analysis from The New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than The New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then on the drop down, push subscribe. If you prefer, you can call. Call 800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. All right. So the European Union has joined the censorship witch hunt against Elon Musk and the platform formerly known as Twitter. Under the European Digital Services Act, which took effect in November 2022, the EU wants to impose digital censorship not just in Europe, but around the world. The UK libertarian and Eurosceptic news site Spiked Online reported in March that under the Digital Services Act, very large online platforms with more than 45 million monthly active users will have to swiftly remove illegal content, hate speech, and so-called disinformation from their platforms, or they will face fines up to 6% of their annual global revenue. The EU is the world's second largest marketplace, and so the EU believes it has leverage over global policies. Under the Digital Services Act, platforms can be banned from the euro market, not just fined. And so the globalists at the EU think they can make everyone in the world bow to their censorship regime. As Spike has pointed out, they may not be wrong. The EU's strict regulatory standards often end up being adopted worldwide by both firms and other regulators in what is known as the Brussels effect. Take the General Data Protection Regulation, a privacy law which came into force in May 2018. It requires people to give explicit consent before their data can be processed. These EU regulations have, become, have since become the global standard. Most U.S.-based websites are compliant with general data protection regulation, even though neither American citizens nor American companies are bound by the law. This can happen, the same can happen here under the Draconian Digital Services Act. 
The EU attack on X is not the first attempt by the European Union to stifle free speech worldwide. In October, the EU sent a strongly worded letter to Musk, warning him to comply with EU censorship demands. The letter alleged that X was being used to disseminate illegal content and disinformation. In a condescending tone, the letter also warned that European bureaucrats had learned from qualified sources reports about potentially illegal content circulating on X. The letter told Musk that he must be timely, diligent, and objective in taking action and removing the relevant content when warranted. Musk asked the EU for details on this infringing content, but the EU didn't provide any. So, why are they going after Musk? Well, it's simple. It's an attack on the most high-profile proponent of free speech. This is what Dr. Norman Lewis thinks. He's a research fellow at the think tank MCC Brussels. He said the EU is going after Musk specifically because he is a vocal advocate of free speech. The point of the commission's investigation into X is to establish Brussels' right to dictate the terms of debate. It is the opening salvo in the battle to control the political narrative in Europe. Moreover, with his latest move, the communist regime in Brussels also staked the claim that it has a legitimate right to end free speech globally, including in the U.S. A few days ago, Musk tweeted the kind of ideas the globalists hate. He said diversity, equity, and inclusion are propaganda words for racism, sexism, and other isms. This is just as morally wrong as any other racism and sexism. Changing the target class doesn't make it right. All right, guys, so we only have a few seconds, I guess, to discuss this, but it's pretty clear, and I think I made a pretty good case there. It's clear why they're going after him. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Any, well, any I, I agree, but of course, it's not just him. It's not just uh, Musk. Uh, it's uh, everybody who voices an opinion or provides information yeah. that does not fit the establishment script. Right, but again, Musk has this platform that is the most popular platform, and I go on it quite often. There's a lot of citizen journalism. There's a lot of ideas. Twitter or X has changed dramatically since Musk took it over, and so it's no coincidence that they've started going after him for that. It is the place. It's 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 a, it endangers the globalist narrative. This is the information battle. This is crucial in the information battle. Did you want to add anything, Christian, to that? Absolutely. Um, ever since Musk took over, uh, Elon Musk took over Twitter or renamed it X. Um, he's brought back uh, Donald Trump. He's brought back Alex Jones. You know, they're no longer censored. Jordan he's, Peterson. Uh, so many people who yeah. were uh, 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 censored before that are still censored on other platforms yeah. that are large, like yeah. Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Uh, so those companies, the, the last three I mentioned and others like them, they play ball. They play the censorship game that the yeah. EU wants because Twitter doesn't they're becoming the target of the EU. So if all of a sudden Elon Musk bowed down to Brussels and started censoring everyone that speaks out against globalism or speaks in favor of things like Brexit, then perhaps, perhaps mm. he'd be okay if he just bowed down to them. But yeah. So, uh, so more power to Elon Musk for standing up He against... went rogue. That's a problem for them. Yes. Thanks, guys. Let's look at our next story. So Argentina's new libertarian president, Javier Millet, eliminated half the government on his first day in office on December 10th. The Blaze reported that within hours of being sworn into office on Sunday, Millet made good on his vow to take a chainsaw, both to government spending and to what he called his country's political caste, signing an executive order to cut the number of government ministries from 18 to 9. Millet proposed his chainsaw plan in June 2022. He said he would sell off state-owned companies, slash public spending, reduce and simplify taxes, and eliminate the various government agencies making the country's financial crisis worse. Argentina is suffering 143% annual inflation 
an increase from 100% back in April of this year. 100 years ago, the South American nation used to be one of the 10 richest nations, but a century of socialist policies have made it one of the poorest. Four in 10 Argentinians live in poverty. And it only took a century of destructive socialistic policies for the people of Argentina to vote for serious change. Well, I'm kind of jealous, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching. Well, you see that change saw effect in America? <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of stuff we talk about. What yes. is it? What do we claim? Like, like 80% of the government should be gone? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you, when you think about someone like President Reagan, conservatives are always, you know, mentioning President Reagan as a great conservative. Yeah, and he said many good things as a candidate in, in 1980. Yeah. But yet when elected, mm. did he get rid of the Department of Education? No. Did he um, Did he cut us out of the United Nations? No. I mean, he appointed yeah. uh, people to serve as Well, he cut the budget, Education. right, Gary? Well, he only cut the rate of increase, which a lot of people do not, under, do not understand. And actually, if you go back and look at Reagan's yeah. words... He said that very explicitly. Mm, yeah. uh, he said that what he was talking about was cutting the rate of increase, and yes, oh. he did. But overall spending continued to increase, just not as fast as it would have otherwise. So what we need in the U.S. is a president like Javier Millet, who's just not going to appoint people to those positions yeah. and, and let those departments just let, yeah. them pound, let them pound sand. That's if, exactly what we need if for, only we for had, a president to do here. If only we had a wild-haired president to cut, to cut the government. With a chainsaw. <laughs> With a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's but, like... But we need Congress, too, because Congress uh, is the legislative branch, and they're responsible for 100% of the legislation. Well, and, and that's a good... That's, that's a great point, because another thing we always talk about, it's like we place, we place so much uh, focus and responsibility, apparently, on the president, which we shouldn't. So we, we, we actually don't need uh, a Javier Millet, do we? we can need, we still have the chainsaw? We, we need a good Congress, much more than we need a good president. With Congress, they can all have chainsaws. So let's Congress get one to Mike Johnson. No, right. No, that's well, a good... Do you think he'd use it? <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off. Go on, Gary. Cause... Well, uh, Congress is more important than the, the presidency. Yeah, because, absolutely. Because uh, all legislation comes from Congress, and the president is the chief executive officer, and he is expected to implement... Mm. to carry out the uh, the laws of the United States, which yeah. uh, emanate from Congress. Is it this is why Congress needs to defund all the unconstitutional departments and abolish them and pass the Defund Act to get us out of the UN, which is a great segue for it's your great. next segment. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, that's going to be a great idea. In a few seconds, we're going to go there and we're going to look at this uh, Defund Act and whatnot. But uh, going going back to this, this, this congressional... I, I don't know how Argentina's government is built because it would allow, it, it seems to have allowed Millet to do something that no president would be able to do here. Is that correct? Does anyone? The Argentine constitution has changed multiple times since <laughs> Argentina became a country. Um, yeah. But it's, theoretically, it's loosely modeled off the U.S. constitution yeah. in principle, but it's been amended many times and they've had multiple constitutional conventions to change yeah. their constitution. So we lost track what it is. But. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, uh, Christian. And after this, we're going to have the CEO of the John Burr Society talking about how we can get out of the UN. As a lumberjack, I've been cutting wood for decades. My job is pretty straightforward. I see the wood, I chop the wood. My axe goes through every time. You remember when everyone bought all the toilet paper? and they wanted me to wear these things. And someone invested a lot of money into this stuff. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot, it's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. 
We even hear crazy ideas on how kids should learn. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. Visit thenewamerican.com and subscribe to get 50% off the cover price. And if you want an even better deal, use the promo code 10OFFSUB. Again, that's 10OFFSUB for more than 50% off. Earlier this month, Senator Mike Lee of Utah introduced the Defund Act, a bill to get the U.S. out of the U.N. Here he is introducing the legislation. We've witnessed failure upon failure, and yet the 20th century notion of a collective world peace still lingers in the minds of the American foreign policy establishment. It's a notion that believes that somehow U.S. participation and leadership within the United Nations is a foundational pillar of our security and our strength. A glance at the world today, however, reveals the harsh truth. Enduring global peace remains just a dream. While the corridors of the United Nations were designed for diplomacy, it now serves as a place where America's adversaries, people who trample on diplomatic principles and even human dignity itself, to say nothing of national sovereignty, sponsor initiatives that fly in the face of our foundational principles and values. Just last November, we saw Iran, known for its support of terrorist groups and its systemic targeting of Jewish people, chairing a UN human rights event, actually chairing it. Russia and China, nations that challenge our interests and undermine our values at every turn, hold permanent seats on the UN Security Council. China for its part, also continues to enjoy the benefits of developing nation status, exploiting UN programs and other monetary benefits for questionable gain. Now, the United States, as the UN's largest funder, ends up tacitly supporting these things through its funding. The largest contributor to the UN's budget is the United States. The Biden administration continues to fund, indirectly, groups like Hamas through the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, known for its anti-Semitic indoctrination. Similarly, the previous administration halted funding for United Nations Population Fund due to its support for coercive abortion practices in China. The bloated bureaucracy of the UN epitomizes the very foreign entanglements that our founding fathers warned against. The global security environment of today underscores the urgency of reasserting American sovereignty. The Defund Act, which I've introduced this week in the Senate, seeks to end U.S. participation in the United Nations system, ensuring that any future attempts to rejoin would require Senate approval. Now, detractors argue that U.S. involvement is essential for our security and that absence from the U.N. would somehow diminish our soft power forcing us to rely solely on military might. These are misleading distractions. The current UN system itself erodes American soft power and compels us to conform our national interest to the whims of the so-called rules-based international order. 
This fear-mongering overlooks the proven value of bilateral relationships, which are the true bedrock of international diplomacy. At the UN's inception in 1945, President Truman presented a choice between international chaos and the establishment of a world organization for peace. Yet despite the UN's existence, chaos abounds, adversaries leverage their UN positions, and the goal of peace is overshadowed by the ambition for supranational governance. The true hope for a peaceful world lies not in such global institutions, but in the strength of our national sovereignty and the use of that strength to forge and continue to foster bilateral relationships around the world. As William Shakespeare said, what win I if I gain the thing I seek? One must truly ask, what does the United Nations seek? Is it truly peace? I think not. Its actions speak for themselves. Since 1945, the U.S. has slowly surrendered national sovereignty to the U.N. under the guise of customary international law. And under this broad aspirational goal of somehow bringing peace and harmony through this international organization. An international organization that is itself utterly untethered from the electoral politics of any country. Uh, they very much operate as an island unto themselves once they enter the halls of the UN. Now we in the United States finance a very significant portion of the UN, much of it voluntarily with no obligation to do so. Our generosity has been misused to empower terrorists, foment hate, facilitate coercive practices abroad, and in many, many ways, undermine our values. So joining me to discuss this most important goal is the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn. Welcome, sir. Thank you, thank you. So we got, that's a lot of good news there, right? I thought he was Absolutely. very, very eloquent. <laughs> We'll, we'll take it. <laughs> I, I always mention this. This is our longest running action project. Get us out of the UN. Absolutely. And there's good reason for that, isn't there? Yes, yes, yeah, well, for sure. Well, and, you know, I thought he made some, some, some really good points in all that. And, and as we were kind of talking, you know, a little bit beforehand, will you look at what the United Nations is set up to do and what our uh, government for the, uh, for the federal government, actually, for the United States of America is supposed to do? You'll notice that there are way different um, uh, footings, you know, for for each of those that 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 they, that they stand on. Obviously, for America, uh, for the United States, um, a little more specifically, is that we have a government that is supposed to be looking after the rights of the people. The God-given rights of the people are supposed to be protected by the government. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yet, when you look at um, anything that comes from the United Nations, and I'll just give you a, a very quick um, example. So this is from the Constitution of the World Health Organization. And it says, um, like, the, like the eighth, ninth paragraph down here, it says, governments have a responsibility for the health of their peoples, which can be fulfilled only by the provision of adequate health and social measures. Okay, so that's giving government a responsibility that it really bodies. That it has no control over. It yeah. should not have any kind of, 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 of legislative power over. Yeah. And what, what we saw, what, how the WHO directed matters during COVID. Oh, exactly. Perfect case. Exactly. So, so when, when we look at what the Constitution uh, you know, says for, for, for the United States of America, we are looking at Article 1, Section 8, mm -hmm. uh, which talks specifically about the legislative uh, powers for Congress alone. That is a limited government. 
not like what the what the United Nations is doing through all of its many. And I have a list here of all of the the agencies and affiliates that they have. And I mean, it's it's it, long. Yeah, it's over like nineteen. Yeah, you know? it's kind of like this squid, huh? <laughs> it's got its tentacles, <laughs> tentacles everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, 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 right. And and that, and there's a reason for that. And so when when you look at the at the different agencies and, and affiliates of the United Nations, you'll notice a lot of similarities to what has been already set up for agencies under the United States government. Hmm. Okay, now many of which, of course, as 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 we pointed out in the last couple of segments. 80% of the uh, American government is, is, is unconstitutional. And so there's a lot of unconstitutional agencies that are, that are there. And what, so what the United Nations is doing is, there, is they are, as, as you know, uh, Senator Lee very well pointed out, usurping the sovereignty yeah. from individual countries in order to build itself into a much greater uh, entity, obviously down the, down the road, world government, mm-hmm. right? So... He is entirely accurate. We need to get out of there. And we at the John Birch Society are so excited yeah. because this is the first time in a long time, and I didn't look it up, okay? So I can't give you an exact date, but the first time in a long time when we have had a get us out bill, I know it's not called that, but we'll call it that on mm-hmm. our side, a get us out bill in both the House and the Senate. So now is the time to get out there and push, 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 yeah. get out there and create pressure uh, among the communities, among your legislators, among the state, get the pressure built so that it gets to the halls of Congress. Yeah. So that at some point we can have enough pressure built up that suddenly it's like, you know what? Absolutely, we need to get out of the United Nations because they have no control over what we do. Yeah, we we need to get these folks ready for for the perfect conditions to get out. Say we take, you know, say rational people take Congress and there's a president that may sign that. Um, we, we had one a few years ago. Uh, then that's the moment. But until now, and we, produce, we, we offer ways to do that. If you go to JBS.org, there's take action, there's legislative alerts. And there we, we have all these letters. We have pre-written letters. We have phone numbers of your senators and your congressmen so that you can pressure them. Thank you very much, sir. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. You can get more truth behind the news at thenewamerican.com. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. Working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society.